Welcome to the Guildhall School Events Podcast. Today I'm delighted to welcome director Stephen Barlow and sopranos Lauren Fagan and Lauren Zaletsi to talk about the school's next opera double bill, Debussy's L'Enfant Prodigue and Donizetti's Francesca de Foix. The double bill will run for four performances in the Silk Street Theatre beginning on the 4th of November. So welcome everyone. Hello. Stephen, both of these operas are relatively little known. Um, our head of opera, Dominic Wheeler, who's conducting the operas, describes them as contrasting rarities. Can you give us a bit of an introduction to them and what makes them a good pairing? Sure. The, uh, we're, we're starting off with the Debussy, um, L'Enfant Prodigue. It's based on the uh, f- uh, famous parable from um, Luke in the New Testament. And um, it was written by Debussy when he was still a student. He was only in his early 20s. And it was a competition uh, entry for the Prix de Rome, which is a very um, prestigious uh, composition prize. He'd entered the competition twice twice before, hadn't won. Uh, It had come second uh, the previous year, and then he finally won with this... um, with this composition and in fact it was conceived not as an opera but as a lyric cantata uh, so it's very very beautiful it's very um, uh, very introspective it's very much a mood piece and it does um, it does two things at once cleverly in terms of the music it uh, pays homage to the two prevailing French composers of opera of the time which is Massenet and Gounod but it also looks ahead to um, Debussy's unique um, way with melody and um, tonal composition in terms of the textures and the colours and the orchestration it's very forward looking at times so it's a, a piece that where you sense the, the baton being passed from one generation of musical composition to another it's a, a bridge passage if you like and you hear a, a bit of Pallias and Melisande sort of up, up, up ahead fascinating beautiful um, lyric uh, piece and by complete contrast, the, um, the Donizetti is uh, also written by a, a young composer, Gaetano Donizetti, I think was in his late 20s when he wrote this, but this comes from earlier in the 19th century, it comes from about 1831. Okay. And it's bel canto style of opera, so it's designed to show off beautiful singing, that's literally what bel canto means. And um, it's a comic opera, it's a, a comedy of manners, it's not a buffo opera in terms, it's not coarse, um, it doesn't involve a lot of disguises and um, mistaken identities, really only <laughs> one. It doesn't have a lot of the clichés of, of the sort of buffo comic operas. It's, it's quite French, even though it's an Italian <coughs> opera. And it's a completely different style of opera. It, it, it's very... Um, uh, it's not introspective at all. It's very much about action and characters in the here and now um, dealing with... Uh, situations um, as, as they happen to them on stage and it's, it's really delightful and the music is so um, effervescent and, and sparkling and catchy I mean it just we keep humming it all the time it's, <laughs> it's so so infectious so they really are very different pieces and, and because they're so contrasting I think they make a great um, a great uh, kind of menu if you like yeah. you don't want to have two courses the same you want yeah. to have things that balance each other out that's what a good chef would think when he's composing a menu so I think Dominic's done a great job in choosing these two very different operas which um, make a great whole great thank you um, Lauren and Lauren <laughs> um, straight from a wig fitting I believe um, can you tell us a bit about the roles you're both singing mm-hmm. 
Would you like to go first, Lauren? Yeah, sure. Um, basically, in the Debussy, there's only three characters. However, um, to help our story along, we've added an extra three characters who don't really do any singing, but you know they're there from start to finish. Um, I'm singing the role of Leah, who's the mother of Arzael, who is the actual L'Enfant Prodigue. And basically, she's a middle-aged woman who has gone through about three years of grief when her um, son has basically just le- left the family and she has no idea um, what's been going on with him for this entire time. You know, she doesn't know if he's dead or hurt, starving. Um, and so the opera begins showing this grief. And interestingly enough, um, the mother's not actually a part of the parable at all, but Debussy has chosen to focus on her yeah. a lot. So, yeah, that's the part that I'm playing. It's, I don't know, been a challenge to play someone who is considerably older than me and yeah. someone who has gone through grief, mm. which is not something that I've had to yeah. deal with, luckily <clears throat> enough. But it's been a really good learning experience. And so, yeah. And quite a complex kind of range of emotions, I imagine, in, in the journey that she goes through sort of throughout the piece. Yeah, because you really have to be right in the thick of it from the moment before I even open my mouth. Mm. And it's only a very, very short piece. It's done in half an hour. And, you know, by the end of it, you yeah. have to reach this resolve. So, yeah, yeah it's... I don't know. It's been a challenge, but a really good one. Great, thank you. And Lauren Zalezzi, can you tell us about the role you're playing? Sure. Uh, I'm playing Francesca, who is the title role, but you know there are there are five principal roles, and we each have an important part in the plot. Basically, uh, I am the wife of the Count, and uh, he's a somewhat jealous man who uh, thinks I'm the most beautiful woman in the town, and as a matter of fact, I happen to be. No, I'm not. <laughs> That's not me being arrogant. The chorus sing it, so I'm allowed to say it. Um, anyway, I'm, I'm apparently then, let's just be modest, uh, very, very beautiful. And so he wants to keep me locked away and away from all the townspeople because he fears someone will take him away, take me away from him. Uh, so basically the plot is amongst the king, the page... Um, myself and the Duke uh, to trick my husband, get me out of the house and disguise me as another woman, the Baroness de Romford and disguise me as her and he's not allowed to say that he recognises me because he's told everyone in the town that I'm the ugliest woman and I'm full of illnesses and everything like that so the whole opera basically goes along until he goes crazy and, and can't stand the fact that I'm flirting with all the men uh, and eventually admits that he's told a lie to the king and he learns his lesson not to be so jealous and we all end in a very happy <laughs> number of coloratura and uh, yeah that's basically the end oh. <laughs> that's great Thank you. Yeah. and um, how important is it for you both when you're training on the opera course um, to work on operas that are both part of the canon sort of established well-known works as Mm -hmm. well as operas that are perhaps less Mm well-known is it is it important to have that variety when you're when you're training um absolutely I think Dominic's quite good in that he chooses works that are of prominent styles and important styles for young singers to learn but not necessarily really really prominent works last year they did do the marriage of Figaro which some of us had the opportunity to work on uh, but this year he's chosen more obscure numbers, which this one especially, he's, he's given us the chance to work on some bel canto and some 
impressionist it's kind of French mm-hmm. French lyric mm-hmm. yeah okay um, which are styles that we will be singing throughout our careers so yeah. we're learning stylistically how to do mm-hmm. things yet getting to work on stuff which we haven't listened to 700 CDs of yeah. the f- most famous singers in the world doing so we don't copy mm-hmm. which yeah. I think is yeah. something he's really drummed into us yeah. that we learn mm-hmm. to sing for ourselves mm-hmm. but I think yeah. it's also good because audiences expectations when they go to see Marriage to Figaro mm-hmm. are so high Whereas here, you know, we get the chance. I think your opera's never been staged in London in, before. No, never. And yeah. this is a cantata, which is relatively, you know, alone. yeah, it's mm. not, it's not meant to be staged. Yeah. So both of them are going to have. I don't know. I, I'm sure most people wouldn't have heard yeah. these works. I'd be very surprised if anyone had seen them staged. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's a really a new thing for audiences as well. It's a yeah. real chance exactly. to kind of get to know this repertoire yeah. and sort of see something. Yeah, it's really exciting cool. for them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And particularly with works that are less well-known, how important is it for you to learn the history of an opera before you start rehearsing? Or do you sort of approach the music first and foremost? How, how do you sort of go about Well, we definitely need to do our research before we come in. Um, I think we actually started our rehearsal period reading the parable, which was a relatively unknown thing for a lot of people, you know, not coming from Christian backgrounds. But... Yeah, I think it's a very, very important Mm. part of the process just to get familiar with your characters and the other characters and also just doing, you know, research on things that can help you to relate to something that is quite a foreign... Yeah. Yeah, as I said before, you know, I haven't had the experience of a child or anyone really close to me dying, so I was just doing... reading up on different cases of missing children and things like that to try and understand what parents go through with that kind of thing. Mm. Um, and Lauren and Lauren, you have a very interesting backstory. So this isn't actually the first time you've met. You actually went to school hmm. together in Australia we and did. then met again at the Guildhall School some years later on the opera course. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm interested to know, what was your route into singing and what are you hoping to get from your time at Guildhall? Uh, well, we, we first actually met musically more than anything else because we were at primary school together, but Lauren was the year above me. Uh, but we came to together in the school choir, uh, where we had a fantastic choir mistress who also put on uh, a production of Pirates of Penzance, oh, <laughs> where where Lauren sang Frederick, Frederick. Up the up the <laughs> and, and and I was like a Mabel cover because I wasn't allowed to sing the title role because uh, young. I was too young. Uh, so I was just one of the like maidens. Um, so that's where we kind of came to music together. We sang in. Uh, choirs outside and then we ended up having the same singing teacher who kind of pushed, no, pushed is not the right word, uh, made us, encouraged (laughs) us into classical music in a very Mm. nice way, we weren't adverse to it at all, but uh, uh, so that's kind of how we came into music as to what we're trying to get out of our time here at Guildhall, I think... Basically, in Australia, even all the way over the other side of the world, Guildhall is an extremely reputable institution. Mm. And uh, we we know that the teachers here are fantastic for singing, but also each of the departments all come together to kind of run the place as if it were a company, uh, which, you know, having been other places as well, I can definitely say that here, having the tech department, having such a heavy, you know, influence of the drama department, all that kind of thing really mould you as a whole artist which I think is one thing we really wanted to get out of our time here, wasn't just to come out as fantastic singers Mm. uh, 
but that would be great as well. Yeah. Um, uh, is to come out as a whole artist. Well yeah, yeah, absolutely. Mm. Which I guess I it's equipping definitely. you for the professional world, exactly. as you say, working as a company and sort of mm. and that kind of. No, precisely, because it's it's not enough nowadays to just have a wonderful voice and stand there. Mm. Is exactly, it? You've got, it's it's got to be more than just having a great voice now. Mm. I mean, people expect you to be in good shape um, to be able to act really well mm, languages. Um, and languages to be on top of all the main um, mm. operatic languages yeah. so it's a huge um, you know, the bar has really been raised yeah. over the last 10 20 years people's Absolutely. expectations mm. Mm. Okay. Um, and you mentioned the um, technical department Lauren and um, mm. Stephen as well as um, as with all the Guildhall School's opera mm. productions, the, um, the sort of design, the set design, the sound and lighting, it's led by a team of professionals mm. um, and our technical theatre students mm. work quite heavily on the production. Is there anything you can give away to us? What can audiences uh. expect from the productions? Um, well, normally when I'm doing obscure works, I always say, well, if no one's seen them before, maybe we should... Um, do them as they're meant to be done and sort of kind of audition them if you like but um, I've ignored my um, my own advice uh, and we are um, we have taken imaginative leaps uh, with both productions uh, the first piece I don't think it's giving too much away to say that it's set at the time it was written uh, in the 1880s and that's because the music obviously sounds very much from that period but also Debussy was something of a, a prodigal son himself um, in fact, the, the work is almost prophetic in that he actually, not long after writing it, had to go back to his parents and apologise for the affair that he was having with a married woman, which, of course, uh, in um, you know, bourgeois French society in the 1880s was very scandalous. So he was a, he was a bit of a sort of errant child. And uh, so um, I thought making the piece slightly autobiographical, not that Azael is Claude Debussy, but just uh, I thought it, it sat very well um, and the music obviously is very evocative of that period it's not the music isn't particularly biblical with one perhaps exception at the end the music doesn't sound um, particularly religious or biblical it's very sort of domestic and agnostic so I thought that's been we're basically treating it as an 1880s family drama and I think every family has its dramas every family has falling outs and recriminations and reconciliations, and that's really what it's about. Uh, the second piece, um, I think we have to have fun because it is it is a really um, charming piece. So we've kind of got one foot in the Renaissance and one foot in uh, in today. So it's a bit of a hybrid, mm-hmm. topsy turvy mm-hmm. world where uh, uh, yeah, nothing quite makes sense, yeah. but it's but it's it'll, a lot of fun. So much fun. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds very intriguing. Yeah. Finally, Stephen, you've directed many of the major opera companies around the world. You recently directed at the Metropolitan Opera House in New York and Chicago Lyric Opera. Do you take a different approach when you're directing in a conservatoire setting with singers who are at different stages in their careers? Well, the short answer is no, um, and that's a deliberate choice. Um, I always say uh, that I don't have two speed settings as a director. There's only one way I, I do it, and there's only one way... I want to do it and I think the reason why Guildhall invites professionals is they want to give the students a taste of what it's going to be like in the real world so I think it's important that I don't change the way I approach because I want to give them that opportunity to say well this is what it's going to be like when you enter the profession Mm -hmm. you're going to be working unfortunately with people like me and this is how they're they're going to be treating you but um no but seriously I think it is important that the students get uh a really strong sense of what it would be like doing it 
professionally. Uh, the only change I would say is that I'm obviously more understanding that as students, you're not always dealing with a finished product. Um, whereas with a professional singer, an experienced professional singer, if they're singing upstage, you might scream at them and say, what are you doing singing upstage? The audience is over here. With a student, remember, they're at the beginning of learning that process. Yeah. So one is more understanding. One has to nurture. Um, but I think it's important uh, not to sort of patronise in any way um, or to treat... I don't treat my cast as students. I never call them students in the room. I treat them as I treat any other professional singer. I call them by their first name. I treat them as equals. And, in fact, I learn too. That's why I love coming to places like Guildhall. I learn a lot from working with the students because they have so much enthusiasm and imagination and it's really just once you give them license to unlock that, it can be really exciting mm-hmm. in a way that sometimes with professional singers who are very jaded or a bit cynical, it, you know, they just sort of sit there waiting for you to sort of tell mm-hmm. them what to do. So, no, I, I, I think it's important that they get that real sense of what it's like to be a professional singer. Great, thank you. Well, thank you all for taking part today. The Guildhall School's Opera Double Bill opens in the Silk Street Theatre on the 4th of November with further performances on the 6th of November, the 8th of November and the 11th. Um, And you can check the Barbican box office for ticket availability. Many thanks. Thank Thank you.